Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. May it be our glory ever after. Father, I pray that each day the love that You have shown us in sending our Savior Jesus Christ to the cross would astound us anew and draw our hearts afresh to our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask in His name. Amen. Who among us hasn't had a pity party? In the midst of our suffering, we wonder aloud or maybe silently in our hearts, where is God when we're hurting? In our more self-centered moments, we might blame God for our sufferings and ask, why me, God? I don't think that I deserve to have this happen to me. We might even accuse God of being uncaring and a bit cruel by sending into our lives the depths of suffering that He hasn't suffered Himself. Asking us to go through things that He's never experienced. We might not have uttered the words out loud, but I expect many of us have said something like this, God, You don't know what it's like. You don't understand. You have no idea what I'm going through. You don't have a clue how much it hurts. Somebody said something like that. I want to assure you that God does know every bit of suffering that we go through. He does know what it is like to suffer. He went to the cross. The depth of His suffering on the cross are impossible for us to understand because His suffering was so much more profound. He suffered one of the world's greatest tortures that humanity has ever devised. And then beyond that, He suffered the uncompromised wrath of God. There's nothing that we have suffered that God is not fully acquainted with. Furthermore, the fact that Jesus went to the cross assures us that the trials that God sends into our life are not uncaring and cruel, but are instead gifts from our loving Father to help us grow closer and closer to Him. Christ has taken all our punishment once for all and forever. And so God, when He sends punishment, or rather when He sends suffering, I should say, it is not with a a snarly, uh, cruel look on His face because He loves us. loves us so much that He sent His own beloved Son to the cross. This morning we're going to look at three things that humans did in order to shame and discredit Jesus as He hung on the cross. This morning the sermon's about the cross. That's why we've been singing about the cross. You know, every act of being sentenced to the cross was intended to bring shame to Christ. But that was not enough for those who put Him there. They wanted to add to that shame. They wanted to add to His disgrace. 
So first of all, what they did was they placed Jesus between two thieves. Verse 18. In verse 18, there they crucified Him with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. And we know from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, that these men were robbers. Uh, John MacArthur says that they were that the word in the Greek uh, intends to show that they were worse than just thieves, that they were brutal, that they were thugs. And here they place Jesus right between them. Someone speculated that it could have been associates of Barabbas. Barabbas was uh, was freed. And he was a a thief or a robber and a murderer. And so these two may have been his accomplices. Accomplishments. Accomplices. (laughs) Anyway, um, he, uh, so who who knows? They, They were, they certainly were robbers. They were bad fellows. And it appears that they, put Jesus in between them to make an association. This guy's a robber. This guy's a robber. This guy must be really bad. He's right in the middle of them. Little did they know that their mind game in trying to convince the crowd that Jesus was this horrible person, their little mind game was fulfilling prophecy. 700 years before Christ was born, Isaiah 53, verse 12 says, He, talking about the Messiah, poured out His soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. What was to bring shame to the Lord Jesus Christ? What was to discredit Him in the eyes of the crowds that were there uh, watching Him be crucified? Actually, Instead of bringing him shame, it proclaimed the beautiful grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. His being crucified with the guilty, with these guilty thieves, confirms to us that he came to save not the righteous, but sinners. He came to be numbered with the transgressors in order that he might, in order that he might save transgressors, in order that he might save sinners. There's such shame in confessing your faults and openly confessing your sins. And so many try and put put on an act and demonstrate that they have everything in order. That they are too upstanding to be considered a miserable sinner or a transgressor. Jesus did not come and hang on the cross for the morally upstanding. He came to hang on the cross for sinners, for people who know that they fall short of God's grace or in God's glory, that they fall short of God's righteousness, and that they only have one hope of salvation, and that is in Jesus Christ alone. Christ came to save people who know that they only have that one hope, and that hope is in the shed blood and in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ our Lord. Not only did the position of thieves, as they hung there on either side, serve to to bring shame to Jesus, 
But the words of these, these robbers, these thieves, also serve to bring shame on Christ. Matthew's Gospel said that both thieves hurled insults at Him. This is amazing to me. They're hanging on the cross. And I've gone over in other sermons how one of the, the most difficult things about the cross was you're hanging there suspended and you can't get enough air in your lungs. And so the only way to get air in your lungs is to push up with your feet. But your feet are nailed to the cross. And so you're pushing up on that nail, bringing the full weight of your body to bear. And you're, it's, it's ripping your skin. How terrible that must be. But you can't breathe otherwise. And here are these two robbers using the precious air in their lungs to spill out insults toward Jesus Christ. I would think if I were hanging on the cross as one of those thieves, I would find something better to do. One of these thieves, of course, we learn from Luke's Gospel, um, did come to, uh, to repent and, and ask Jesus to save him. And Jesus hanging on that cross, being preoccupied Himself with trying to get enough air, was gracious and merciful to that thief. And He said to that thief, Today you will be with Me in paradise. Such is the grace and the love of our Savior. Do you know yourself to be a sinner without hope except in His sovereign mercy? Have you fled to the Lord Jesus Christ as your perfect sacrifice who came to be numbered with transgressors in order that He might save transgressors? If you haven't fled to the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to ask you, why not? Is it pride? Is it because you believe that you are a good enough person that you don't need to, that you are upstanding? In confessing that you're a good person and upstanding, what you're doing is you're calling God a liar because His Word says that you're a sinner. Why have you not fled to the Lord Jesus Christ if you haven't? Will you let such a generous and good salvation go unheeded? There was another way that there were attempts to shame and discredit Christ. And it's found in verses 19 through 22. Pilate also, verse 19, wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Pilate wrote this inscription, had it affixed to the cross. Every commentator that I referenced said that Pilate did it to humiliate Jesus. So I'll go along with them. As we know, however, this attempt to belittle Jesus actually proclaimed eternal truths. 
Jesus Christ indeed is King of the Jews. No matter how badly the religious leaders here in our passage wanted this not to be so, that they wanted it to be He simply said He was King of the Jews. They didn't want it to be so, but no matter how badly they did not want Him to be the King of the Jews, they surely found out at their death that He indeed was King of the Jews. In fact, He is King of the universe. It could have been truthfully written above the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the universe. And He's King of the universe right now. He rules over all nations, over all kingdoms, over all peoples, over all families, and over all individuals right now. Do you bow to His Lordship? Is He your King? Because it doesn't matter whether you submit to Him or not, He is still the King. So I ask you again, is He your King? Are you willing to lay your life bare and entrust yourself to Him fully and completely? And then, one of the most shameful things of all that they did was the dividing of Christ's garments in verses 23 and 24. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took His garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier and also His tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let's not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the Scripture which says they divided My garments among them and for My clothing they cast lots. Jesus probably had five articles of clothing uh, on when He uh, went to the cross. It's likely He had sandals and then a robe-like garment and then a headpiece and a belt and then a one-piece tunic that... uh, that was his outer wear. And so presumably it appears that there were four soldiers who were guarding Christ while he was hanging on the cross. And so these four soldiers divided up the four uh, items that were least expensive. The most expensive would have been the tunic. And a tunic's not going to be very much good to anybody if they rip it into four quarters. So they decided to leave it in in one piece and decided to cast lots for it. You know, it'd be kind of disheartening to struggle for your every breath. You're enduring um, unspeakable agony. And yet, you know, these soldiers are down here, you know, having a, you know, casting lots gambling, creating a little ruckus there as they're having fun. Who's going to win the tunic? But more to the point, it was humiliating for Christ not to have any clothes on while He was hanging on the cross. The Romans typically hung people on the cross uh, completely naked. And they did that to shame those who were on the cross. There's no indication that Jesus had anything on. Not even an undergarment. I know we naturally assume He had on a loincloth or some such type of undergarment. We've seen the paintings of Jesus on the cross. Uh, And in the paintings, He's always had the loincloth. I led a person to Christ in college. And 
about a few minutes after he came to Christ and he's got this real glow that he's met the Lord Jesus Christ, his sins are forgiven, the first question he wanted to ask me was, why didn't Jesus ever smile? What are you talking about? Of course Jesus smiled. He said, no he didn't. I've never seen a picture of him smiling. And uh, we... we you know, we've seen the pictures that people have drawn and it influences how we read the Scriptures. You know, I know there's going to be no frustration whatsoever up in heaven. There's going to be no sense of exasperation that we'll ever feel once we get to heaven. But I imagine Moses is very tempted to be frustrated and be exasperated, especially this last 40 years of eternity. Because I'm sure every day up in heaven, people are coming up to Moses saying, you don't look like Charlton Heston. (laughs) Satan pulled no punches in trying to shame our Lord Jesus Christ. We often talk about the pain and the punishment of the cross. But it's easy to forget the ugly shame that was heaped upon Jesus while He suffered those torturous hours there on that torturous cross. But as we consider the shame and consider the fact that He endured it for us, it must encourage us as we call to mind Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Picking up halfway through verse 1, it says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross. He despised the shame of the cross. Why? For the joy set before Him. The joy set before Him was twofold. First of all, the joy that was set before Him as He was on the cross was He was bringing glory to His heavenly Father. And that brought joy to His heart even as He was being punished for our sins. Sorry, that's my phone. I left it from Sunday school. (laughs) I'll use it for a clock. And then the second thing that brought Jesus glory or brought Him joy was us, our redemption. God doesn't take pleasure in the strength of a horse or in the strength of a man's legs, but He takes joy in those who fear Him, in those who trust in Him. And so as He was on the cross, His joy was His Father, and His joy was us. He loved us so much that He endured the suffering and the shame. He is such a good Savior. I cannot imagine any of you having to stand before the judgment seat of God and to answer to Him why you did not trust in Jesus Christ when He is so good to us. If you're not trusting Him wholeheartedly, no matter your reasons, you are testifying to yourself just how hard your unredeemed heart really is. That you would turn a blind eye and a cold heart toward a Savior who loves you this much. 
of the things that is key for loving the Lord Jesus. As our Lord Jesus said, He who sins much loves much. Or He rather, I'm sorry, He who has been forgiven much loves much. I don't know how I misquoted that one. Only those who are aware of their sin can truly cherish grace. Only those who are aware of their sin can truly cherish the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Only those who are aware of their sin can truly cherish Jesus Christ. John Stott said, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. And what he means there is it was our sins that sent Him to the cross. It was our punishment that He bore on the cross. It was our wrath that He suffered in our place on the cross. As we prepare to come to the Lord's Supper, I want to remind you of the cross of the Lord Jesus. And I want to remind you of your sin. But really what I want you to do is look at the cross, look at your sin, and then take ten looks, a hundred looks at the Lord Jesus Christ because He loves you so much. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, such love we have never received from another human being. Such love the angels with their revelation of heaven and living in Your presence still could not begin to imagine what You would do to save sinful human beings. Lord, it boggles our minds that Jesus Christ would leave heaven itself and come here to earth with this single focus of going to the cross, of being numbered with transgressors in order to be the Savior for transgressors, even us whom You have called to Yourself. Lord, as we look forward to the Lord's Supper, I pray that You would um, help us to feast upon You and on Your love as You pour out Your Spirit. And Your Spirit uses Your Word as it has been read and preached in our presence that we might feast on on the grace of our Lord Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen.